Amen. The joy to know that you are in this place. Hallelujah. I can see it on each face. The joy to know that you are in this place. Hallelujah. Just sing it. Surround me, O Lord. Thank you, God. Surround me, O Lord. Yes, Father. Surround us, O Lord. And let your presence feel this place. Let your presence feel this place, O God. Let your presence fill our hearts. Let your presence fill our minds. Let your presence fill <clears throat> our family, Lord, our lives, O oh God. Hallelujah. That you would baptize us afresh in your spirit. That you would baptize us afresh <clears throat> with your heart, Lord. With your power, with your glory. Hallelujah, Lord. Give us uh, fresh eyes to see. Give us fresh ears to hear. <coughs> Hallelujah, Lord. We, we don't want to be stuck in the flesh, Lord. We wish to be empowered. We wish to obtain joy. We wish, O oh Lord, <clears throat> to be empowered to do what you will, O oh God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Make your glory known, Lord. Make your glory known, O oh Lord. Deliver us, Father. Deliver us from, from the flesh. Deliver us, O oh Lord. Deliver us from every wild. Deliver us, O oh God. Hallelujah. May your spirit, O oh God, hallelujah, wrap us in immortality. Father, we pray that by your blood that you would forgive us of every transgression, of every uh, a sin, of all iniquity, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. And we praise you that you are real. We praise you that your spirit is alive. We praise you, God, that, that you are not a fiction. You're not... A, a, a figment of our imagination, but you are very real, Lord, like the song says, that <clears throat> I know that you are in this place, and we can say with confidence and not being delusional uh, and with a great assurance that we know that you are in this place. Hallelujah. We know that you abide in our hearts by the spirit that you've given us, O Lord. Hallelujah. Make your presence known even more. Make your glory known even more. God, we thirst for you. We long for you. We ache for you. We yearn for you. We need you, O oh God, in you. We live, move, and have our being. Apart from you, there is no life. Apart from you, there is no meaning. Apart from you, there is no purpose. Hallelujah. Oh God, I ask that you would speak to your people. May your word cut like a two-edged sword to our hearts, Lord. Apply healing balm to those that are wounded and broken. And Lord, I pray that you, you would cut at the hearts of those that are stout-hearted and obstinate and refuse, O oh Lord, to um, acknowledge the truth. We thank you, O oh Lord. Father, I pray that, that the fire of the Holy Ghost would burn up all the dross in our lives. Thank you, Lord. May there be great unity this day. May there be <coughs> great reception of the word this day. 
May there be revival in our hearts this day. May the seed of your word germinate in our hearts and yield much fruit, O God. Hallelujah. Grant it, Father. Grant it, God, by your spirit. May this not be an unspiritual meeting. May this not be uh, an ecclesiological uh, uh, social club. But may, O oh Lord, there, there be a, a, a true presence of yourself brooding in this place that distinguishes us, O oh Lord, from every other meeting, from AA meetings and NA meetings and, and, and psychological meetings and all these other meetings that are impotent and powerless to affect change in our lives. Thank you, God. We thank you, Father, that we are the temple of the living God and your spirit dwells in this place. May we, Father, uh, 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 be worthy of the calling. May we, Father, uh, yield to you. May we, O oh Lord, live lives that, that are, are becoming, that are, that are welcoming, that are befitting of your presence. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <coughs> Glory to God. <coughs> <clears throat> you know i've said this multiple times before but <clears throat> it's it's true and and it's that the the meetings that we need the presence of the lord and without the presence of god excuse me you you can even go to church, and and uh, you can go to Bible studies. You can go to all these things, but if if the presence of the Lord is not there, then um, it's a waste of time. And <clears throat> the unfortunate thing today is that there are many uh, churches, uh, unfortunately, that uh, gather together weekly, and um, there there is no presence. Uh, there, there is no, um, yes, there's no presence of the Lord. There, there's even, uh, you know, Bible preaching, there's children's ministry, <clears throat> there's uh, fog machines, um, bounce houses, and um, face paintings, and snow cones, and everything else, and, and their own, um, <coughs> their own Starbucks in their church. Uh, but, you know, it, it may even be a good good points in the sermon, but what what distinguishes us is the presence of Christ. You know, I remember reading David Brainerd uh, from the seventeen hundreds, and he stated that um, that the and I'm paraphrasing, but he was saying that the presence of God was so real to him that um, that to dwell in a shack or a barn with the presence of the Lord was far much more appealing and desirable to him than anywhere else. And um, he he was known to be praying in the snow. He would pray uh, hours and hours and hours in intercession for the Indian people. And uh, despite his uh, coughing up blood and suffering from tuberculosis, uh, he continued to intercede. And uh, he was known to pray in the snow and uh, melt the snow with, because he would pray with such intensity and fervor. 
Um, you have to be uh, greatly on fire for God to to pray uh, with that sort of magnitude, right? Um, it's the book, uh, The Life and Diary of David Brainerd. Um, the, the, the only thing that I really don't like in his diary is he always keeps referring to himself as a wretched man. I'm a wretch, I'm a wretch, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a, I'm a worm. And I think he was too influenced by Puritan theology that to, to the extent that he had such a, a low view of self or a, 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 a contaminated view of the body. And that's just not scriptural. Um, anyone inside of Christ is not a wretch. <laughs> I hope you know that. I need you to get rid of that false theology. Um, because when Paul does say, oh, wretched man that I am, what he's speaking is <clears throat> in first person as the Jewish body, uh, collective Jewish body that was in the body of Moses. And since they were under the covenant of death, um, a covenant that cannot impart life, as a consequence, he says, Oh, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Um, the law brought forth death. Uh, law came through Moses. In 1 Corinthians, it says they were baptized in the body of Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's why then the preceding verse, which people often tend to ignore, <clears throat> especially Calvinists and reformers says, but thanks to be to God that the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? <clears throat> so the answer to that exclamation, that, that groan that Paul stated as he was speaking in first person as the Jewish body collectively, he says the answer was in Christ so that we would be delivered from that body and transferred into the body of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Um, <coughs> amen. I'm not hearing amens. Um, it's true anyways. Um, amens or a lack thereof doesn't make the Bible any less true. <coughs> so... Um, the the point though is that we we are not in the body of Moses. We're not under that law. We're not. Uh, uh, we, we are in the the um, people say dispensation of grace, but that that's just people need to get rid of that terminology too. The the Bible doesn't recognize uh, what uh, dispensationalists call dispensations. It's it's covenants. <clears throat> um. But nevertheless, I, I want us to get our Bibles. Are we all here? <clears throat> um, and as as I've said, uh, you know, if if you want to follow along, or we're going to be uh, reading from the NIV, um, just so that our, our Bibles, our, our Bible study would be more. Um, just so you can follow along better. Uh, you know, I remember some time back, this, this is just absolutely stupid, um, but there was an individual some, some uh, years back who <laughs> accused me to of trying to manipulate people because I kept insisting on a specific translation. I didn't demand a translation. I just insisted uh, or suggested or recommended, however you want to put it, just specifically for our time here. 
Not saying you have to go and read the NIV every time. It's just that it, it it's just, but anyways, I thought it was absolutely stupid because, <clears throat> um, how is the manipulation if I want you to see what's in the text? It's not like I'm saying, oh, don't read other translations. You, you get what I'm saying? Um, <coughs> the, the, if, if I'm asking for a specific translation, it, it's so that as we're reading along, you can see it there too. That's not what true teachers, of, that's not what false teachers of the word do. False teachers say, hey, you know, hey, don't really pay too much attention to the text. I, because their goal is not for you to see what's in the text and to lead you to understanding. Their goal is to chop it up, slice it and dice it. And, and and portray it in such a way that seems convincing, that that sounds good, but it's not there in the scriptures. Does that make sense? <clears throat> no. Okay, good. Makes sense. Uh, because remember, at the end of the day, the scriptures are the standard. It's not. It's not what anybody says. It's not what that denomination or that uh, abomination or abomination denomination of desolation. <laughs> it's not what um, uh, any church says. It's 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 what the scriptures say. Now, um, with that said, <clears throat> we're reading from the NIV, and if you still insist on your translation, that's completely fine. <clears throat> but let's let's turn to Matthew. Uh, let's begin at chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17. Excuse me. Are we all there? Yeah, yeah, it's it's good to have various translations. Um I would just encourage having the right ones. Um and I think the majority of them are good <coughs> and reliable. It's just that there are a few that aren't. <clears throat> and let me let me quickly say this. The message is not a translation. Okay, you want to stay away from the passion <clears throat> because the translator actually has a lot of uh, New Age um, overtones. When I say New Age, I, I mean it in this, the 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 occultic sense. They <clears throat> have with uh, uh, New Age overtones, and uh, the message is not a translation. Um, so I discourage the reading of the message because, and, and I don't say this to boast, but I've I've studied Greek, I've studied its grammar for a long time, uh, um, enough to know how it functions and to uh, even read passages in Koine Greek. 
<clears throat> and I can say that um, in the simplest terms, translations, quote unquote, like the message are nothing more than a paraphrase. They're not taking the ancient manuscripts and uh, uh, translating. They're, they're simply fusing a commentary and, and packaging it in a paraphrase. <clears throat> so you cannot get accurate theology from those so-called so translations. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> secondly, the translations are broken up with what's called dynamic equivalent and formal equivalent translations. Or in other words, word for word and thought for thought. And um, I think it's good to have both. Because anybody that says that it's only word for word, <clears throat> no true translation is 100% word for word. It just cannot be that way. Um, if, if you ever, it, you want to see what a true word for word is, get an interlinear Bible and then read the, the, read the English underneath the Greek and it will give you the word for word. Like, for example, um, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So in the Greek, it's hutos gar agape sin hatheaston kosmon. So it literally reads, For in this manner, um, hutos gar, no, no, hutos thus, in this manner, for uh, hutos gar agape sin, loved the world God, it just doesn't, it doesn't make for good English. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so, but the point is that you want to have a good, you know, word for word or thought for thought, I think, and in comparison will help you. Um, and using a Strong's Concordance, uh, that, and, and a, um, a Greek lexicon, I think those things can help, but it also requires a fundamental and basic knowledge of how to, properly use those tools because what sometimes people do is they'll go to the Strong's Concordance and say, well, this is what it really says in the Greek, um, but there's a whole lot of other things and factors that are involved that, um, that you should know when using those tools. But nonetheless... So the the simple answer is yeah it's good to have uh different translations for comparison. <clears throat> but uh Matthew chapter 5 verse 18 and so let me say one other preliminary thing. Um because we're going to do a lot of Bible reading, okay? And that should not uh hamper your spirit or discourage you um because I need you to know, well, I need you to, to develop the desire to become learners, right? What, I, what, what, I'm not, what I'm not advocating for is this sort of scholastic classroom type thing where all we get is head information devoid of the power of the Holy Ghost. If, if you, you should, should know by, by now I'm very much an advocate for praying in the spirit, praying long prayers, um, you know, deliverance and praying in tongues and and um, the gifts of the spirit, revelation from the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> but 
But what I often see as a trend or as a culture within the charismatic circles and charismatic simply is the 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 compounded word in the Greek charismata, charis being the prefix and mata being the suffix. Bacchus meaning grace, in other words, the graced gifts. Um, charismatics are those that believe that the gifts are in continuation today. Does that make sense? So as charismatics, we're always like, oh, praise God, I just, I, I, you know, the move of the Spirit, and um, <clears throat> a lot of the teachers in the charismatic circles are only focused on right? Deliverance. Only focused on the gifts. Only focus on those things. But as touching the word, they're incompetent. They butcher it. They don't know how to exposit it. And, and I'm saying this, you know, I remember uh, 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 Bishop Baron Ash said, prophets often know what God is saying, but don't know what he has said. <laughs> and <laughs> That's an accurate description of most prophets today. They know what God is Amen. saying by the Spirit, but they don't know what God has said in the Word. They don't know. Amen. And so <coughs> it's Spirit and Word, right? Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, um,. So what what I'm doing is hoping to to give you an appetite to to stir up in you the appetite to learn the word <clears throat> and, and because we're not good expositors we don't we don't reference we don't we don't provide a coherent view of the scriptures so we what I've seen because I got I got saved in a denomination where they'll read one verse and all it is is the springboard into all that they want to rant on about. But they're not they're not showing you what all that meant. They're not showing you what this verse did that verse actually means in its proper context. Does that make sense? So so I'm trying to give you exposition. Um, and exegesis. These are terms that you might be turned off by, but I think you should become familiar with. Okay? And um, exposition just means to draw out, to expose you to the true meaning of, of the text. Okay, so with that said, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Verse 18. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Okay, so... The reason why we're coming here uh, is is to, to demonstrate... Well... Jesus's lecture, right? The, the, what's typically called by scholars the the Beatitudes, um, his teachings on the mountain, right? To those to his disciples and all those who gathered, right? He begins from verse three, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are all those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth." And he keeps going on and on, right? This is the teachings of Jesus Christ, okay? 
Um, and what Jesus is doing is he's he in contrast to what the people have heard the law speak of, right? Because look at what he says. Um, verse verse 21 in chapter 5. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and to anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be subject to judgment. <coughs> so what Jesus is saying is in contrast to the law. You have heard it said in the law, X, Y, and Z. But I am saying to you, X, Y, and Z. Okay? Now, this relates to his statement here in verse 17 and 18, when he tells us that his objective is not to abolish or to utterly destroy the law of Moses, as if Jesus is introducing something that is not in the spirit of the law, that is something that is uh, uh, completely contrary to the mind of God. Um, that's not the objective of Jesus. Rather, his objective was to fulfill that law. Does that make sense? And so everything that he is there uh, teaching thereafter, right, is <coughs> the words of Jesus, not the words of Moses. So in other words... He he the, the, they, the he is, um, he is. It's a it's a lecture, if you will, of covenants. Jesus is introducing the new covenant, the teachings of the new covenant, the teachings of the way of life. Okay, and. And he tells us, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not one smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Um, I, I don't intend to focus too much on that. Um, my main focus will be in chapter 7. But the point, though, is that Jesus is actually saying here that the teachings of the Mosaic law uh, will not disappear until heaven and earth disappear. And so the jots and the tittles that he's making reference to are the jots and the tittles that are within the Mosaic law. Okay. Now, I was actually speaking with a coworker recently, uh, well, last week. And, and the interesting thing is he said that he's a Christian, but nevertheless believe that we're still under the Mosaic law, which I would say, nine out of 10 Christians that I've spoken to throughout the years don't believe that. But I, I told him, I said, you know, I actually appreciate your statement because your, your statement is actually in keeping with Matthew chapter five, verses 17 to 18. If you're consistent with, with your view, um, I said, I, however, believe that, uh, heaven and earth did in fact pass away and therefore we're no longer under that Mosaic law. Um, he said, what the heck would, you know? And so I didn't have time to unpack that for him, but, um, he stated that he would be interested in hearing more about what I had to say regarding that. But the point that I bring that up for is that <clears throat> you are logically bound to the belief that we're still under the Mosaic law. If you believe that what Jesus had in view was material creation of heavens and earth. Okay. Um, the text is very explicit for truly, I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, 
Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So the everything is a, everything would be accomplished at the passing of heaven and earth. And Jesus tells us that the jots and tittles within the Mosaic law would not disappear until heaven and earth disappeared. In other words, what that meant was <clears throat> the sacrificial laws, the Levitical priesthood, the temple worship would not be abrogated until uh, or passed away until heaven and earth passed away. Now, I, I want to quickly show you Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, because some people say that it passed away at the cross. Well, in reality, uh, the Jewish believers were still observing Torah. It was the Gentile believers that were not bound to keep Torah. Um, <clears throat> but if you read in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, uh, it says, it says, so, in other words, people say at the cross, the Mosaic law had passed away. When in, when in reality, the writer of Hebrews, which is post-cross, in other words, after the cross, is assuming that the Mosaic law had yet not disappeared. By calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So at the time of the writing of, of the book of Hebrews, the author is saying that the Mosaic law did not disappear. Now, when you reference back in Matthew chapter 5, what, what was the goal of Christ's uh, work? What was the goal or what, what did Jesus foresee? Jesus foreseen the disappearing of the law or the passing of the law as the writer of Hebrews said would soon disappear he didn't say it had disappeared he says it will soon disappear <clears throat> but Jesus places that time of the disappearing of the law at the disappearing of heaven and earth let me read it one more time and then we'll we'll follow we will uh, continue onward with the teaching um, for truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So <clears throat> those those aspects, those jots and tittles of the law that required the Levitical priesthood, the temple worship, the offering up of, of, of offerings and all that stuff, the Sabbath and all those things were still in continuation, right, until the disappearing of heaven and earth until the disappearing of the law. Does that make sense? And once again, let me just reiterate, the writer of Hebrews is stating, he didn't say it did disappear. He says it's it will soon disappear. Now, um, the, the time of that disappearing was AD 70 when the temple was destroyed, the Levitical priesthood was destroyed, and therefore all that the law had instituted and required Remember the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, it says, In the bringing in of the priesthood, there is by necessity the changing of the order of the law. Right? So the law instituted and commanded the institution of the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. So such that when the Levitical priesthood was destroyed, along with the temple and the altar and everything, so did the so the Levitical priesthood pass away as well as the law. Does that make sense? Um, 
I'm not going to belabor that point. Um, there's so much that can be said, um, but I wanted to try to condense that thought um, as much as possible. Um, but that's important for us to know because as we're continuing onward um, and we come up to Matthew chapter 7, it sheds light on what Jesus is here speaking of. Okay? The introducing of, of Jesus' discussion on the Beatitudes sheds light on what he says later in the Beatitudes, particularly in Matthew chapter 7. Does that make sense? Amen, somebody? Are we following? <clears throat> so, let me reiterate. What is Jesus, What was the introduction of the Beatitudes concerning it was concerning the contradistinction between the covenants. You have heard it said of old. Let, let me just, let me focus on that again. Let, go to verse 21, chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people of a long ago, you shall not murder. Who, where is Jesus referencing this from? The Mosaic law. Now go to verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. Where is he referencing? The Mosaic Law. Uh, verse 31. Um, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality make her the victim of adultery. Okay. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago... Do not break your oaths to fulfill the Lord the vow, uh, but fulfill the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. In other words, Jesus is saying, "You have Moses said, but I say." Moses said, "But I say." Amen. Okay. <laughs> and so. What Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 and 18 has to do with his entire ethical teachings for the new covenant is this. I haven't come to uh, introduce anything that is not in line with the spirit of the law that came through Moses, but rather to fulfill it. Now, certainly... There are things within the Mosaic law that overlap with the new covenant. But there are, but, right? Such as uh, uh, loving God and loving your neighbor, though, there's overlap there. But there are also relevant dissimilarities that are vital that were commanded in the old law, but are no longer required in the new. Does that make sense? Because, because, what was kept under the Mosaic law through the flesh is now fulfilled by the spirit, right? So yeah. circumcision of the flesh that gave you entrance into that old covenant, now a circumcision of the heart that gives you entrance into the new covenant, right? Um, before you had to, um, you know, sacrifice the blood of goats and bulls and put it on the altar that could be seen. Now we have to have faith in the blood that was put on the altar in heaven that cannot be seen. Hence why Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. Yeah. 
right? He says, for that which is temporal is passing away, and that which is eternal, he says, that which cannot be seen is eternal. People think that he has in view there the material creation of the earth. That's not what he has in view there. If you look at the context, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, if this earthly tabernacle, referring to the, the tabernacle commanded <coughs> by Moses and instituted by Moses, he says if that tabernacle is destroyed, then we have a building from God eternal in the heavens. So the tabernacle instituted by Moses was passing away. And that passing away was fulfilled in 70 AD where the temple was destroyed. And so again, Paul says that which is seen, that tabernacle which is seen, that is temporal. But that which is unseen, namely the building from God, whose building we are, as it states in Hebrews 2, he says is eternal. Um. It says, Moses was faithful in all the Lord's house. What was the house of the Lord? The tabernacle. He says, but Christ being a son over God's house, whose house are we if we continue steadfastly in the faith? So now let's now uh, along with that theme, the theme of house and building, look at what Jesus says. Here, um, we're, we're going to get there. Y'all following so far? I don't want to be losing anyone. Amen. <coughs> the Mosaic Law commanded the first house. The household of God. Why do we call it the household of God? It's where God was housed. It was where God dwelt. God dwelt in the tabernacle and made his dwelling among men. Um, but <coughs> in the new covenant, uh, there is a new house, okay, built upon better promises. But if you look, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So this is toward this is towards the end of the beatitudes. So what was Jesus's aim here? The aim was to 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 what he had in view is the construction of a new house built upon his teachings. Now, but does that is that clear? That's where I'm leading you guys. That that's that's what I'm trying to prove from the text. And I think what was stated in the beginning and what's stated at the end of Jesus's teaching correlate. Okay, but I, I want to quickly go to uh, Matthew chapter seven verse thirteen, and this is what Jesus says: Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the of the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Okay? <coughs> so, um, who is that gate? Right? Jesus is that door. Right? 
And now, amen. Um, and now, once again, you have to understand amen. who is he speaking to? Jesus is speaking to an audience of Jews who are well familiar with Torah, who are well familiar familiar with the law, who are well familiar with uh, a circumcision and priesthood, and and all of that. And so, in contradistinction to the Mosaic law, Jesus, on the other hand, is saying, "I am that door," and 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 Jesus is is teaching them. The way to life. Jesus is teaching them the ethical teachings of the new covenant and is calling them to repentance from that old order to the new order. Okay, you know, a lot of times people think that Jesus, you know, certainly when Jesus calls us to repentance, he's calling us repentance from fornication, he's calling us repentance from uh, uh, adultery or murder or gangs or whatever. But the, you know, there wasn't a bunch of gangbangers in this audience. There wasn't a lot of people hitting up the clubs. <laughs> These were law keepers. They weren't living immoral lives. So what now the Pharisees, yes, they were brood of vipers. They were living immoral lives and they were greedy. They were they were uh, 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 um, wicked. But this is a lot of these are a lot of Jewish people that that um, are 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 hungry after the Lord or are interested to hear what He has to say, and so He's calling them to repentance. And the Greek word metanoia means a change of mind. So <clears throat> they were largely, um, they had a theology that Mosaic theology, and Jesus is saying that they have to come out from that. And that they have to enter through him who is the door. Does that make sense? So, again, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Now, I want to I wanna show us that uh, real quickly in John. John chapter 10, verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Verily, uh, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate. So Jesus said, enter through what? In Matthew 7, through the narrow gate, through the door, right? So, and Jesus is is telling us that he is that gate. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. You know the thieves and robbers that he's speaking of there? Are the false Christ who had come before him claiming they were the Messiah. That That was actually a very common thing that was happening. Um... And I think largely because when the Jews read the book of Daniel, they understood the timeline. And they understood, okay, here would come Babylon, and after Babylon, the Midi-Persians, after Midi-Persians, the Greeks, and after the Greeks, another kingdom. And they were living in the days of that kingdom, that Roman Empire. 
and and the the coming of the Messiah was foretold to to take place during that fourth kingdom. Is that clear? So I think that they exploited that opportunity to say, "I'm the Messiah." And then they gathered a large following and and we will also see this in the book of Acts that there was, you know, there was a lot of instances where people were gathering people unto themselves, leading these these groups and then you know, the instruction that I think it was Gamaliel who said, um, if I'm not mistaken, I forgot who it was said that uh, said it in Acts. He says, look, leave these Christians alone because you remember in the days of so-and-so uh, that there was a man that was leading all these people, but it came to nothing, right? But nonetheless, Jesus saying, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever's enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So, you know, this is interest this is uh this is important because the 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 robbers and the thieves are the false teachers, are the false messiahs, are the false Christs, are the false prophets. And they are precisely the instrument of the devil to lead you to the path of destruction. To lead you to the narrow road. Right? Oh, you know, um, you, you know, I, I comment on this, um, uh, this individual's post recently on Instagram. It had a white Jesus on the left and a black Jesus on the right. I said, both of them are false. And I said, you know, I said, Western evangelical Christians love the Indo-European Christian, uh, Jesus, and all his teachings. And, and then the black Hebrew Israelites love the, the, the black Jesus with all his teachings and racism and all that other stuff. And I, both of them are the figment of your imagination. The, the Jesus that I follow Amen. is the, Jew, the Jewish Jesus of the scriptures. Right. And so 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 but the point that I'm trying to make is that they they say you can have Jesus, but it's the Jesus that has our theology. It's the Jesus that says, oh, you can be racist to Gentiles. Lick my boot, you Gentile. That That's how that's how hate <coughs> hate filled the <coughs> Hebrew Israelites are. <coughs> and there are several sects within them. Um. I'm not sure that every one of them are as hate-filled, but there certainly are a great number of them that are. Um, And the purpose of Christ, remember in Ephesians, was to create out of the two the new man, both Jew and Gentile. We have equal access now to the commonwealth of Israel, the promises of God, right? In Christ Jesus so it don't matter if you're black, Amen. if you're Amen. Hispanic, if you're white, there is no inequality in Christ. There is no a better privileges because you're black. There's no better privileges because you're white or you're wealthy or you're male or female, right? What does Paul say in Galatians? In Christ Jesus, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile nor male nor female nor servant nor uh, nor bond servant, right? 
This this is where people they want to keep following the Jesus of their head. They have you know, they may not necessarily have a graven image, but all a graven image is is a view of God that begins in their head. So the what comes first is the figment of their imagination that then results into the graven image. So even if you don't have something you bow down and worship to, if you have a Jesus that does not accord with the Holy Writ, that doesn't accord with the actual teachings of the very Christ, then you have a false Jesus. There, there's, there's no way around it. Now, look, Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter one, uh, excuse me, chapter eleven. Just so I can further prove that point. So you know, this is what I don't like in the charismatic circles. They say, you know, um. And I understand the sincerity of the individual. I do. Uh, and so I commend that, you know, um, where they say, you know, it's a meme that goes around. The Lord hasn't called you to win arguments, but souls. I have a, <laughs> I have a problem with that in this in this way. Um, I, I think that the, the heart of the that matter is love. I, and I agree to that. First Corinthians 13. If you fathom all mysteries, if you speak in tongues, but you don't have love, then you're nothing, right? So it's assumed that we should love. But Paul, in the book of Acts, debated with the Jews, proving to them from the scriptures that he was the Christ, that, that Jesus was the Christ. And the, the, the specific word debate is used in the book of Acts. So are we willing to say that Paul was wrong to debate? Now, there is a difference between arguing in the context of a debate and having an argumentative spirit. See, one of the things that my philosophy philosophy professor taught me is that you need to stop misusing the word argument. Because typically, because we're emotional, we use that in the context of spousal venting of poisonous venom uh, they got an argument and they're talking at each other and they're shouting at each other an argument is isn't necessarily that the an argument is is using good argumentation and reason not emotion to persuade the individual of the truth of what you believe amen and if we can't use argumentation to persuade people that Christ is that Jesus is the Christ according to prophesied in the scriptures what else do we use compulsion do we go the route of the crusades now we're going to p- compel you into the kingdom are you going to go jihad on them or are we going to use good reason good argumentation from the scriptures, hey, look, I know what you believe was X, Y, and Z, but that's actually false. What Jesus says here is X, Y, and Z. Right? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> or are we going to manipulate people into the kingdom? Right? No. But Second Corinthians chapter uh, 11, it says, verse 1, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, 
your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches to you a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think I am in the least inferior to those, quote, super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. <clears throat> now, um, hold on. Uh, I want to go down to verse 12. <clears throat> and I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people, they're boasting about being apostles, and Paul's basically saying they're not apostles. They're not equal with us. They don't have authority. They're false ministers. And what does he say? For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Amen. Amen. So do you see here that beginning in verse uh beginning in verse um uh uh 4 that Paul assumes that a different gospel can be preached, a different Jesus can be received and a different spirit can be received. Does that make sense? So but the word gospel is in there. Amen. Such that the, the way that you receive a specific Jesus is through the message you believed. So that if you believe a message other than what was preached by the apostles at the first, then that means as a consequence, you believed on a different Jesus. Which is why in Galatians, he says, even if an angel of light comes to you with a different gospel than that which you received, let him be anathema. That's the Greek word that means cursed by God. Oh, wait, what happened? I thought we were supposed to curse people. Well, Paul said, let them be anathema. Let them be cursed by God himself. Right? So, yeah, you can receive a different spirit. You can receive a different Jesus. And you can receive a different gospel. That's why when, when uh, someone has... Uh, <coughs> theology that leads to the road to destruction the broad road and not the narrow road they're leading you to a different jesus to maybe a bar jesus or or the jesus of islam that it just appeared as if he was crucified but he really wasn't because allah had taken him right the 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 mormon Amen. jesus the Hebrew Israelite Jesus that says that you Gentiles are less than and you might have to lick their boots and be servants of them and, and uh, you know, and, and and all that, right? Do you want that Jesus? I don't I don't want that Jesus because it's not the Jesus of the scriptures. So when you go back to John 10, he says, all, you know, all those people that have come before me, right? They don't lead you to the gate. They were thieves and robbers. Where, where did they lead you down? They led you down the broad path. They led you down the road to destruction. So going back to Matthew chapter 7, <coughs> verse 13, 
<clears throat> now, mind you, once again, this is all in the context of Jesus's uh, contrasting between the covenants, between the old Mosaic order and Aaronic order and the new order of Melchizedek. The old law that came through Moses, but now the grace and truth that comes through Jesus Christ. Right? Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. We've established, according to John 10, that Jesus is that gate. You must come through him. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Right? No man comes to the Father but through me. Right? It says Jesus in the very bosom of the Father has revealed the Father. So no man had seen God at any time, but the Son of Man who is in the bosom of the Father has revealed him unto us. He is, according to Colossians and Hebrews, the very express image of the invisible God. Right? So you want to see what God is like? You look to Jesus. Right? Amen. But look at what it says. <clears throat> Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And this is why, you know, in the book of Acts, they referred to the Christians as those who follow the way. Definite article. The way. Capital W. Right? Jesus is the way. He is that road. He is that gate. He is that door. He is that shepherd. Right? From him, through him, and by him are all things. Amen. Right? And so verse 15 says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. I've said this before. You know, to all the cessationists that love to say, oh, well, there's no true prophets today. But they will readily say there are false prophets, right? Now, the devil only provides a counterfeit. So if he's providing counterfeits, counterfeits only exist in the presence of the genuine. So where, so if there are counterfeit prophets, pseudo-prophetes, where are the true prophetes, right? That means they're still in continuation and operation today. Amen? Or or no, are you cessationist? <laughs> I believe that so what I hear when I when we we say uh when people say they're cessationists is God don't move anymore. That's what I hear. In other words, God has ceased to move. It's one of the most reprehensible gospels. Hold on. Oh, dang. Hold on. They're, 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 the police are telling people to come out right now. Hold on. <clears throat> so, um, but it says, uh, verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. 
Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down (coughs) and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. Amen. Amen. So I, I want you to look in uh, Matthew mm-hmm. Matthew chapter three. Um, Matthew chapter three. <clears throat> look at what uh, verse two. Look at what John the Baptist came out preaching. He says. Because I, I, what I wanted you to focus on in, in Matthew chapter 7, for those who were false prophets who were leading people down to destruction, right? And it says, uh, what it says, that they will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Look, John offers the same language in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. <clears throat> well, let, let's begin in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Now look at what it says. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Okay, so what I want you to see here is, remember, what, what, was, what was Jesus contrasting between in Matthew 5? Was the Mosaic Law... And the new covenant, the kingdom. And so remember, when John the Baptist is telling people to repent, he's telling Jews who keep Torah to repent (coughs) for the kingdom is at hand. Right? Furthermore, Jesus was talking about the false prophets who were leading people to destruction. And he says that those who are led to destruction, right? They will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Is that the same fire that John has in view in Matthew 3? Yes, it is. And who does he he apply that threat to? He applies that threat to the Pharisees and Sadducees, who, by the way, were the ones who sat in the seat of Moses and were the very ones who prevented people from entering the kingdom. Right. Amen. Let, let me let me show you that. Um, <coughs> y'all following? Amen. <coughs> Matthew chapter twenty three. Verse 13. 
Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you blind guides, you say if anyone swears by the temple means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by the oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple, which makes the gold sacred. And then look, as as now what's the context? <clears throat> they are those that are preventing people from entering the kingdom. In other words, they're preventing people from entering the door. Because for you to enter the kingdom, you have to enter through the door. In other words, you have to enter through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is warning against those who are uh, who uh, don't enter through the narrow gate. The narrow gate to what? The narrow gate to the kingdom. Amen. Right? And so... Jesus is is warning against those in Matthew 23 and saying that it's the teachers of the law, right, who who are blind guides and they shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. In other words, what do you think they were doing? They were conspiring against Jesus. They were they were lying against Jesus, slandering against Jesus saying he, you know, um he's not a true prophet. He's doing x y and z, you know. He's, he, in other words, they were lying about Jesus in order to prevent people from coming to him. Right? And then it says, verse, uh, it says, verse 33 of chapter 23, You snakes, you brood of vipers, which is the very thing that John accused, John the Baptist accused them of in Matthew 3. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. <coughs> Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flock in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of, of righteous Abel to the blood of uh, Zerachiah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Truly, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and uh, stone those who are sent to you. How often I have longed to gather you as your children, uh, as uh, uh, gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. What house is that? It's the house in Matthew seven that Jesus says, if you continue on the broad path and you don't build the house upon the rock, it will be destroyed. And Jesus says that the desolation of that house would take place in that generation. Right? Verse 36, truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Right? And so what was it? <coughs> it was the unquenchable fire that John the Baptist threatened the Pharisees and the Sadducees with. 
that they would be cut down and thrown into the fire, and the fire was precisely what was the destruction. And what was destroyed? The temple, right? And all those Jews who did not believe on Christ, they suffered the wrath of God. Whereas those who believed on Christ, when the storm came, their house remained intact. Amen? So, so when, when, God, when Christ had come to judge them, the house that was not built upon rock, namely Christ, was burnt up. And they were destroyed along with that, along with those who kept teaching the uh, false, uh, um, who led people away from Christ. Amen? Does that make sense? Amen. <coughs> um, going to Matthew chapter 7 again. But notice though, Jesus says they were all going to pay for the blood of righteous Abel to Zechariah in that generation and that their house was left unto them desolate. And that's because they followed the broad path and they didn't enter into the narrow gate, which was Christ, the life. Look at what he says right here in verse 24. Um, Therefore, everyone. Well, let's let's read verse 19 again of chapter seven. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The same threat that John the Baptist made to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You blind guys, you brood of vipers. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Right? He says the axe is already at the root and going to throw you into the fire. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, this is verse 24, <coughs> is... Okay, so who, who, here's whose words. Not the words of the Pharisees, not the words of these blind guides, not the words of the Sadducees, right? Not the words of the thieves and the robbers and the false prophets, but rather, here's the words of mine. And what were the words of Jesus? Well, the words of Jesus was from Matthew chapter 5 up until chapter 7, where he's teaching you, right? Those words, the words of Jesus, right? He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So not just coming to Bible study, hearing these words and not practicing them. I'm going to just hear about prayer, but I'm not going to pray. I'm going to just hear about tithes, but I don't tithe. I just hear about uh, uh, sacrifice, but I don't sacrifice. I just hear about uh, uh, loving God, but I don't love God. I just hear about loving my neighbor, but I won't love my neighbor, right? I'm going to just hear these things, but I'm not going to put them into practice. But look at what Jesus says. <coughs> is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. So that Jewish house, that old house of God, was coming to desolation in the first century, as stated in Matthew 23. That was the wrath to come. That was the unquenchable fire. And by the way, 
the the house of God was destroyed in unquenchable fire in 70 AD when the Romans set all of Jerusalem on fire and therefore leaving not one stone left upon another, according to Matthew 24. But look at what, look, look, so I want you to see something here. You have to understand that the house of God was the temple, right? And so what Jesus is doing here in his, the beginning of his earthly ministry is, is, uh, is introducing the new house upon the rock, right? What was that new house? It's the temple. Uh, look at what Paul says. Y'all following? Cops are still out there. First Corinthians chapter three verse ten. We're, we're almost wrapping up. First Corinthians chapter three verse ten. But before we turn there, I want you to take notice of something. Oh, man. That's crazy. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. So, What's in view here? A building, the rock, which is Christ, right? And wise man. Wise man, building, rock, or we can, or use a word interchangeable with the word rock and say foundation, right? Because the rock being Christ is that foundation. Is, is that clear? So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Well, let's actually, at verse... Um, verse 9. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So what is he building? God is in process of building a house. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. Okay? The foundation is what? Christ the rock. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone with the apostles and prophets as the foundation. As a wise builder, does that ring a bell? Matthew 7 is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. So Paul is saying, look, I'm a wise master builder. I'm in God's service building up the new dwelling of God upon a foundation. And someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Right? If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, which is the day of the Lord, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. 
and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. What fire? The unquenchable fire, as stated in Matthew chapter 3 by the words of John the Baptist and Jesus in Matthew 23 and Matthew 7. Is that clear? If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only one as escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, then God's spirit dwells in your midst? So what's in view here? <coughs> the temple, the new dwelling of God upon the rock. And the, the waves and the storm that Jesus described in Matthew 7 is the day of the Lord, is the day of unquenchable fire. Which is described in the prophets as the day of that the Lord will judge in the spirit of judgment and fire. But look at what he says. It says, uh, and God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Okay. So in other words, what Paul is saying is, look, if, if you build upon the foundation of Christ, right, as long as the foundation is there, you can build with straw, hay, silver, gold, that day will test the work. And if the building survives, then the man shall receive a reward. But if it doesn't, well, the, the man himself will be saved because he built upon the rock. And Jesus did promise that you won't be hurt by the storm in Matthew 7 if you built upon the rock, which means <coughs> entering the narrow gate and coming through Christ. But those who did not repent at the preaching of the gospel, but insisted on the old house, their house would be left unto them desolate. Those who, who, who followed the way of, of Balaam, those who followed the ways of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who did not transition into the, the life of the new age, who didn't transition into the gospel of Christ. Does that make sense? <clears throat> We have to realize that the text is self-authenticating and the text is self-attesting and self-referencing. And so that these biblical authors have the same view, the same day in view. So going Matthew, Matthew chapter 7 again, reading the words of Jesus, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Okay, so... <clears throat> all those who didn't repeat, uh, repent at the preaching of the gospel... They insisted on sand. They insisted on the old house. And their deeds had followed them. Well, does that make sense? And then what it says in verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching 
because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Um, I'm sorry, guys. It's a little bit distraction, uh, distracting out there. <coughs> so, in conclusion, what what I want us to see here is Jesus is is. Let me let me turn to one more passage, and then we'll close with that one. Hebrews chapter two. I'm sorry. Let's let's begin uh, uh, verse. Uh, verse two. Actually, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken of in God in the future, by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So who is the house? We are. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? That we are that building. And we are being built together upon what? Christ as the foundation, as a rock, the chief cornerstone, with the apostles and prophets as the foundation. <coughs> right? And and the writer of Hebrews says that you are that house. So when you go back to Matthew chapter 7, and what, what is in view there of the house that will not be destroyed is speaking about the church. Did not Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Right? So, right? So in other words, we are spared from that coming wrath. We The church was spared from that coming wrath that befell those who did not heed the message of Jesus Christ and were thereby not saved. They suffered wrath. They suffered destruction. They suffered unquenchable fire. We, on the other hand, however, are saved. Does that make sense? Amen. Um, Amen. You know, uh, I'm sorry. I I I, I keep saying I'll, I'll read this last one. Um, I I do want to leave you with this one because a, the reason why is because a lot of times people say, "Oh yeah, you know, um, you know, the church is going to go through so much hell. We're going to go through so much, you know, all this, that, and the other." And they're they're essentially preaching this gloom and this doom. 
and they're they're ignorant as touching the scriptures. They're they're ignorant about who were those that were to face um, uh, the 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 destruction. Um, look, turn to First Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, Peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. (coughs) And you know, see, people are saying right here, Oh, you know, the church is going to go through untold mayhem and and just complete destruction and all the you know they're, they're gonna uh just suffer so terribly but look at what he says in verse four and people tend to ignore this but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief you're all children of light and children of the day we do not belong to darkness to the night or to uh, uh we do not belong to the night or to the darkness right and then what it says right here, verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. What wrath was that? The coming wrath that John the Baptist said to the brood of vipers, the Pharisees and Sadducees, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. The wrath at hand. And when you look in the Greek, it's the word mellow, about to be, on edge, soon to come, not 2,000 years later. For God did not point us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it was the narrow gate that led to life, both spiritually and physically. Physically in the sense that they were not those children of darkness who had suffered the wrath shut out from the presence of God and died, right? In 70 AD, who died at the ransom at the besieging of Jerusalem at their hands of the Romans. Does that make sense? And so people reduce the, the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ to something that is just this individualized subjective salvation. And certainly that's true that we're saved. We, 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 when we die, we go to the eternal state to be with God, but that was not all inclusive. What was also included within that gospel is that they would not be the house that was swept away at the coming storm. And thereby their lives were spared. Does that make sense? Or 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 no, this this doesn't sound like Bible to you. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> I don't like this. I, w- I want to hear God's going to do it. <laughs> Slap your neighbor and tell your neighbor. <laughs> uh, what, was, uh, what was the, uh, I think Malachi, you sent it to me where, um, what was it? Uh, you said I was going to prosper. You said something in here. In- oh, yeah. You said in 20, 2023 was going to be my year. And then the other, the cat said, I said, tell your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not supposed, it's not your year. It's your neighbor's year. <laughs> see that that's the importance of audience relevance right 
Amen. John wasn't speaking to you. He wasn't speaking to me. <clears throat> he was speaking to them. Right? But but what we do is we have a uh we, we have the Stephen Furtick syndrome, we have the narcissus, we read ourselves in the text too much, and, and that's that's not what we're supposed to do. That's not how we come to an exposition of the scriptures. An exposition is draw out the meaning of the text. So we have to pay attention. Who was he writing to? What the what was the time in which they wrote? <clears throat> what is their thesis? What are their supporting arguments? And people say, oh, you know, all that all that stuff is head stuff. I don't need that. Okay, well then go ahead and be duped by the false Jesus that come, right? That are presented to you with 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 these theologies that you cannot even discern. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it says that the babes in Christ are not able to distinguish both good and evil. And in the context, what was there being referred was doctrine. Because they were tempted to relapse back into Judaism. And so the writer of Hebrews is having to, to ground them in the faith and say, look, there's no reason to go back to all that. All that the law and the prophets spoke, spoke of are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.